Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Well, also on Mile High Sports, when you're looking for Denver Broncos coverage, you want to make sure you follow our next guest. That's Cody Rourke, Cody Rourke NFL on Twitter and uh, the lead Broncos reporters over at Mile High Sports. And then nobody really uh, works much harder than this guy. So thanks so much for the time, Cody. I know it's busy, but uh, I guess we'll we'll lead off with the uh, Sean Payton situation. I, I think to a certain con- con- extent, I guess, as contrite as Sean Payton tends to get, uh, seemed to be of the understanding of why things were so um, uh, 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 such a big deal to have such big, wide-ranging comments, uh, sort of lobbing grenades all over the NFL community. I backed that off, I think, reasonably effectively. And I guess I'm trying to look at what might be a bright side of it. And it might be something that Peyton suggested when he said flat out that uh, he's the one that was talking, admitted he was the one talking about uh, not having a lot of off-the-field the drama, and he's the first guy to make that mistake. That bit of humility for Peyton not only may work for the Broncos as an example of what not to do, but it may also help Peyton a little bit back off after clearly having things he needed to get off his chest. Yeah, and he even said as well he felt like he, uh, you know, he, he didn't have his Broncos coaching hat on, and, and he kind of still feel like he had his Fox hat on in terms of what he was doing there. And obviously he said, you know, he, he regretted it after two lattes, you know, realizing, seeing the blowback and, and what had happened. But, I mean, let's be, let's be very honest here. I mean, Peyton wasn't wrong. Now, I, there, I think in some context, I think in terms of talking about the team president, Demonte <laughs> Leach didn't get started yeah. until August. Demonte, yeah, Demonte right. was not, not, not And he's not involved in football operations. <laughs> Yeah. What does he have to do with any of this? Yeah, so it, it's a, it was a little bit of a different dynamic last year, obviously, at what, at what had happened. But, I mean, overall, with what had happened last season, and I think a lot of this, too, for Sean Payton, there's been these little subtle jabs that have kind of been put out there through the New York media. And a lot of it, too, has been echoed that Nathaniel Hackett has told people it wasn't his fault, that it was Russell Wilson's fault. And I, I think for Sean Payton going back and, watching the disaster that we all had seen last year. I mean, we saw it every single week. I, I think for him, he even said, you know, as a coach, you, you kind of take a pound of flesh. You know, these are your players, and, and you, you stick up for them. I, I think what he did, I think, went well with a lot of the players in the locker room. Is it something that you want? Did he go about it the right way? Probably not. And I think that's something he acknowledged today, that he regretted it, but it just makes you wonder. Like, I'd love to have a few beers with Sean Payton and hear some of the off-the-record stuff because that whole thing fell off the record, but it wasn't. So, um, <laughs> exactly. like I said, I, I, I like. I mean, part of me, part of me, kind of liked it seeing that fire there. But you are right. I mean, this is a guy who's come in and has told his players, you know, hey, like, don't say this, don't do this, don't put a target on her back. But well, Payton's and he comments did that. certainly magnified mm-hmm. a little bit bigger now. Uh, apology or not, that target is likely to remain there, at least with with respect to the New York Jets. And for our purposes, it makes week five and that game with the Jets uh, a lot more interesting. But how much pressure does it put, not so much on Sean Payton, but on Russell Wilson now? Because Sean Payton basically uh, said the other day, well, he said exactly any notion that Wilson has lost it is quote unquote BS. Doesn't that put a lot of pressure even right away coming into the season 
on Russell Wilson. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think it does. And I think regardless of what Peyton had said, I felt like there's still a lot of pressure on Russ coming into the season anyways because of how bad things were last year. And I had a chance to ask Russell Wilson today, you, you know, we saw it. I mean, firsthand in Denver. I mean, when he was playing the preseason as a rookie, we saw the chip on his shoulder that he played with all throughout that, including in a game against the Broncos. And I just kind of asked him, you know, what keeps him going? You know, that chip on his shoulder, and how does it maybe carry over to the team? And, you know, first off, he says he wants to be a great teammate. He wants to be a, continue to, to put the team in a position to succeed. He wants to play better. Um, you know, for him, the national media narrative, it's easy. Russell Wilson, it was an easy punching bag for them all year last year. And obviously the Broncos' performance didn't help matters there. But he's still a guy who's super determined to turn things around. And I think that we do see it. We, we have seen flashes. Now, I'll tell you this in terms of practice today, the offense altogether across the board didn't look as cohesive as maybe we had seen early on in OTAs when the tempo was a little more up ramp. The defense kind of won the day. They, they had a little more plays on the football in the air. Um, so we'll see how that changes. But really everything's going to matter, I would say, when they get in the pads. And, and Russell Wilson, how does he do when there is pads, when there is some contact? Now, granted, you still can't hit the quarterback here in training camp. But there is a preseason game in two weeks, and Russell Wilson is going to play. So how do things progress in these next two weeks would be very, very big for Russell Wilson. And I think when you talk about this situation with Wilson, perhaps the attempt to defend him maybe made it harder because by absolving Russell Wilson, and look, I, I understand that if Nathaniel Hack is telling people in New York it was Russell Wilson's fault, I, you're going to try to cover for your, you, you got your first job as a head coach. You couldn't even make it a year. Uh, you want to make sure that you minimize the damage to your career. I get that. For the Broncos, I guess they look at it, and we'll put Peyton's comments aside, but I'm like, the, the guy that got fired without going a year, I'm not really worried about what he's saying in other places. So I'm a little surprised Peyton was. Nevertheless, by defending him and saying it was really all Hackett's fault now, and the truth is, I think we know, and Cody, you were there all last year, uh, it's yeah. a little of column A, a little of column B. The, Everybody was at fault. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but now, of course, what Hackett has done is stood in front of it, and given Russell Wilson essentially a very public pass for last season. That sounds good. Unless, of course, some of the decline in Russell Wilson's game can't be reversed. And then what does it mean? And what does it mean for their relationship? And what does it mean for perhaps Sean Payton having to eventually go, well, maybe I was wrong. Yeah, well, he even said in that article, we're fixing to find out. And all the Bill Parcells, Gary Kubiak phrase that we've heard commonly throughout the years in media scrums there. But, you know, for Russ, I think a big emphasis is his approach this offseason. I mean, he's, he's slimmed down. He's, he's gotten more athletic, and he, he's faster. He looks faster than he did last year, and you definitely saw that on display today. Now, there were times where, hey, pocket will collapse around him. He is maneuverable in a way that we didn't see last year. You know, last year, because he was bulked up and he was a little bit bigger, there were times where that happened. But, man, he would have been tackled – for you know maybe a one yard gain or a loss of one yard and we saw that consistently in the regular season but he actually has some spring in his step now and and obviously you don't want him to take this kind of punishment uh, but for Sean Payton he wants to open up what Russ does really well and that is getting him on the run throwing on the run being mobile and if he can expand and grow and develop even further as a pocket passer That'll be a benefit here, but a lot of what Russ is going to do and what we've seen in Sean Payton's offenses is the quick passing game. It's, hey, snap, one, two, three, let's find a place to throw. And that's really the approach. And 
we'll see, and it'll open some things up. But that's where the run game is so important. And I think that this is a, a great combination here. You mentioned Russell Wilson, the pressure on him. I think Sean Payton has all the tools in his arsenal as a play caller, as a coach, to take that pressure solely off the shoulders of Russell Wilson by having a balanced and established running game. I think having a real efficient running game, an offensive line that doesn't change every single week, hopefully that's the case, knock on wood, I I think that Denver will be better off, and I think the pressure will come off Russell a little bit to have to shoulder the load, which I think last year, we can all say, he probably took on a little too much last year, and it showed in a big way, especially when things fell apart with Nathaniel Hackett. Is it fair to look at the Broncos, who have made changes on a more or less constant basis over the last seven years and say, listen, you're going to have to earn trust and legitimacy this time. You've gotten every benefit of the doubt because you did win a Super Bowl as recently as 2015, even through the next seven years, six straight losing seasons of not making the playoffs. Do do you sense... Uh, out there any feeling uh, on the part of the players that now uh, he used the word restraint today uh, in reference to his own comments as in he should have shown more restraint than he did the other day do, do, do the players understand that even from ardent fans they're not getting the benefit of the doubt anymore they, they've they've had it for parts of the last seven years, and they haven't deserved it. Uh, is there any sense out there that this year has to be different? And maybe, uh, you know, Peyton said he'd be upset if this is not a playoff team. How about just make it a winning team first? Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> and, and isn't that a fair expectation of the Broncos in 2023 that they at least win more than they lose? Yeah, 100%. I mean, Sandy, you know you know this as well as anybody. The expectation here in this city, it, it's always high for the Broncos. Now, look, obviously the Avs, the Nuggets, they have been fantastic in terms of winning, you know, you know, back-to-back years of a Denver team winning either the Stanley Cup or the NBA Finals for every single year since 2015. And even back before then, the expectation is that the Denver Broncos are a winning football team. They're always going to be in the playoff conversation or the championship conversation. And that's really been what Denver's been trying to get back to. And I would say even if, like, even how bad Denver has been since they won Super Bowl 50, people still come into the season with very, very high expectations. And I think now, here with Sean Payton, I still think the expectations that fans have always had have been higher. But I think there's a little bit more skepticism of the fan base in the last year or two, which I I think is rightfully warranted because we have seen – and last year was a great example, and this is what Sean Payton was talking about. There was a lot of hype about the Broncos, the offseason moves in terms of trying to win the offseason from a public perception, and then the on-field stuff was just completely embarrassing. It's more so, hey, let's put in the work behind the scenes. Let's grind it. Let's not say anything. Let's just go out there and work and, and, and win football games. That's what Denver has to get back to. But fans are more reserved this year than they ever have been, and rightfully so, and they're hoping that Sean Payton – can bring in, I'd say, restore the phase that they once had in this team in terms of the expectations of winning. You know, the truth of the matter is, from 2017 through 2022, the Colorado Rockies had a much better winning percentage than the Denver Broncos did. And even this year, wow, even this year, 
if you look at the Rockies through 102 games and compare that to the last 104 Bronco games, again, the Rockies have a higher winning percentage. Not a good percentage, but the Rockies this year at 392 over 102 games. In their last 104 games, the Broncos have won at a 356 flip. Yeah, that's a big difference. That, that's that's <laughs> it, a it pretty is. big difference. <laughs> it is. And, and, you know, I even think there's there's good examples throughout that, right? Obviously, wins are wins, losses are losses. There have been moments where Denver has shown competitiveness, and I, and I like to go back to Vic Fangio's final year. That was still a little bit of a disaster itself, but Denver wins that one game against the Cincinnati Bengals. It changes the entire course and maybe what we're even talking about today because – they beat that Bengals team that year. Obviously, the Bengals went to the Super Bowl that year, but they beat the Bengals in that, I think it was week 15, if I'm not mistaken. Denver's in line for a, a wild card spot. They more than likely would have locked one up there, and things didn't work out for them. Obviously, Drew Locke had to come in, and, and there was the fumble. There was a whole bunch of craziness that had happened there in Denver. Unfortunately, the offense has held them back. The defense has been good. It's crazy to think, though, that, hey, even though that Denver has been so bad, uh, from a win-loss standpoint, defensively, they've been the most consistent they've been year in and year out, and they can't carry the water all year. And now it's to a point where, hey, I think fans at this point would see – maybe the Los Angeles Chargers game last year is a great example. They would rather see the Broncos win 31-28 to over a team like the Chargers versus you know, losing a 13-7 to game against the Chiefs, something along those lines. That is where things are at. Like It has not been entertaining – to the point in the last few years, if they can be entertaining, they can win some games. I think that they can make some noise, but ah, it's just so hard to gauge right now, considering, Hey, you're competing against 31 other teams right now, even at this point in practice. And we're going to find out here. I think eh, probably next six, seven weeks, maybe where this team is truly at. And then you're going to get further evaluation on a week to week basis as the bye week approaches, how do injuries impact things? Is the quarterback struggling? What's the offense look like? I mean, there's so many variables right now that we can't even project ahead of what we're actually going to see. So I'm very curious for what this ride is going to be like. One of the things I think, and we're talking with Cody Rourke of, of Mile High Sports, uh, Cody Rourke NFL on Twitter, one of the things that I think you brought up there that I think is is worthwhile, especially in the fallout of this, uh, you know, the, the kind of explosive stories and then his, uh, if not an apology, at least a genuine seemingly admission of regret for saying that, which, you know, you're splitting hairs, but I get the point is that until this, for the most part, the Broncos' ownership and Sean Payton have more or less done what you talked about. Uh, They have acted like a team that won five games, and uh, they hired a new coach, but it's kind of been, uh, let's just maybe stop talking. We, we, Mm -hmm. we, We understand we've got to prove it on the field. We have, to a certain extent, uh, surrendered the benefit of the doubt, and, and fans want to see, uh, as you pointed out, I think you very a very apt point there. Uh, they want wins, but you know what they want first? To be entertained. To not yeah. leave as halftime <laughs> begins, or pardon me, as overtime begins in a home game like we saw at one point last year. Step one is first be watchable, let alone get wins. And up until this sort of misstep by Peyton, I think the Broncos actually had, for the most part, done that. And that is even with a head coach that, as we now know, uh, definitely has a tendency towards bombast. So I think that when you're looking for silver linings to all of this is really a good sign. The focus for the majority of the time of this season with this little blip, and that includes guys that have been pretty active on social media before, including Russell Wilson, among others, have more or less put a lid on it. 
the team does seem to be legitimately focused on, hey, uh, you don't really want to talk about it and, and run everyone through the through the, the ringer again, but we know we were bad and we were embarrassed and we have to first turn ourselves into something resembling an NFL football team before we can start talking playoffs. And uh, even though you heard Sean Payton talk about playoffs, it needs to be where it is. You heard Russell Wilson today say, uh, first is the only thing that matters to him. That's a little bit of bluster. I think deep down inside, they know they're they're not ready for first place. They got to start to walk before they can run. One hundred percent, too. And I, I would say even the the coverage that we've been able to get of Russell Wilson, like Russ has been very under the radar. Like Russ came out for today him especially. Didn't you know last year at training camp, Russ would come out every day, go do a lap around the hill, and high five every fan. Or didn't do that. Just came out and obviously you know waved waved real quickly to the crowd, but. Russ has been locked in at his press conference. He ended it with, you know, go Broncos versus, you know, Broncos country. Let's ride. Like that has gone away. It's more of a, Hey, you know, Hey, go Broncos, you know, which I think in the eyes of the fan base and everybody else, it is more acceptable just to say that, you know, go, you know, go whatever team that you play for. Uh, but yeah, Russ more buttoned up and, and look, even talking about Sean Payton, one thing he said, uh, he got some good advice from Bill Cowher. Bill Cowher had told him, he says, you know, you know what you've got to love. You've got to respect and love the journey, even when it gets tough. And I think Sean Payton carries some of those same philosophies. And obviously Payton has strong convictions. He's a sharpshooter. But I, I think for everybody in that locker room, there was just so much dysfunction last year. We all saw it. We all heard rumblings of it. It was noticeable that, there was some uncomfortability. There was maybe a little bit of uh, some dysfunctional dynamics inside the locker room last year, and a lot of it was due to coaching and, and maybe things that were going on. But Sean, this team right now, and DJ Jones said as well, he, he said, Sean Payton don't have to say anything. We get it. We understand 100% where he's coming from and that he's locked in um, and that the expectation is very high. He says a lot without saying anything. Um, and, and they talked about that too, and especially Russ saying his presence it's something that, you know, when he steps in the room, everybody can feel it. Denver has that, and I'm very, very curious how this whole, you know, ordeal that happened this week, does it come back to bite him in the tail, or does it make the Broncos stronger? Do they come on the other end of it and, and prove a lot of people wrong? I think that's going to be the, the real duality that we see this upcoming season. And the beauty of that, in some ways, is that really is up to the Broncos. How are they going to yep. handle it? The adversity that, that, they, that they have created – they also have the ability to fix it. So we'll find out how quickly they get to it. You'll want to make sure you follow Cody for all of the latest Cody Rourke NFL. That's R-O-A-R-K NFL. And everything's put together on My Life Sports. And you'll be getting even more from Cody uh, for the inside scoops as the season becomes closer to beginning. So always appreciate the time of talking with you, my friend, and looking forward to more. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys. Have a good Friday. Tomorrow is back together weekend. So, hey, if you're coming out there, if you're a Broncos fan listening, make sure you bring sunscreen. It was a scorcher today. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, I will see you there tomorrow morning then, my friend. Take care. Have a good one. Thank you. All right. Cody Rourke joins us for the Denver Broncos. This part, I I think in the end, that's it. The adversity that they have is self-created. That also means they're the ones that can get themselves out of it. The expectations for fans having it happen immediately, that's tricky. But I, I am starting to come around to the notion, Sandy, that Sean Payton having this flare-up at this time and having to kind of live with the fallout for that might end up being a good thing. By the end of the season, we may look at that and say, hey, you know what? That was a little embarrassing for the franchise. But in the end, it might be one of the better things that happened to the Broncos and to Sean Payton. 
Uh, we are going to take a look real quickly, by the way. We'll go a little bit uh, north and west to the new uh, Big 12-bound Boulder. Who's joining them? Have a pretty good idea of who may be next in the Pac-12 and what it means for CU. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Hardcore dance that has gotten to be a little bit out of control. It's cool to dance, but what about a groove that soothes and moves romance? Give me a soft, subtle mix. And if it ain't broke, then don't try to fix it. And think of the summers of the past. Adjust the Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. I can't believe they made it this up. Wow. It's definitely Friday. The University of Colorado, after unanimously voting to join the Big 12, was unanimously voted to be accepted into the Big 12. That's happening. The Buffs will get a full share, $31 million and change, in the first year when the new contract kicks in. And it is likely, as we predicted here, uh, and more of an educated guess in many cases, but it appears more and more as if Arizona will be the team to follow CU maybe as soon as next week, which would make perfect sense for the Big 12 because uh, Arizona has at least a, a competent enough football program, but an elite basketball program. The Big uh, the Big 12 uh, already over the last couple of years, when you look at many of the uh, the Ken Palm rankings and things, you can make the argument they are the best basketball conference Eight in the country. Eight out of ten years. Colorado's addition actually, on average, knocks them down a couple ranks, but only two when you're talking about the average team. Uh, it bringing would in, still be the best. Right, would still be the best. Bringing in Arizona would more than make up for that and bounce it even up further. So that makes the most sense. This is a good piece from C.J. Moore of The Athletic today talking about the basketball end of this. And we'll obviously talk more about football because it's right in front of us. Yeah. But, but these are the reasons the expansion is happening. It's worth right. considering. Um, according to multiple league coaching sources, Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormack met with the league's basketball coaches earlier this summer, and Yormark told them Colorado was coming. Sound like a familiar phrase, mm, mm-hmm. coming. Um, and that it was only the beginning of enhancing the league's hoop brand. And this comes from a coach who is obviously being given anonymity so he can speak more freely on the subject. Yormark said, I know Colorado is going to drop. And when they drop, it could be the four corners, or it could be just Arizona. But if they mess around for too long, and then we bring in, he mentioned some East Coast schools, UConn being one of them, then that narrows the number of West Coast schools we can take. So some of those other guys who would come with Colorado won't be able to come with them. He knew Colorado was going to drop. It was just a matter of when. So, again, that reinforces the idea that this is not something that developed just in the last few weeks. Right, and not because just of the Deion Sanders edition and, even and, as well. And, and uh, that's exactly right. Uh, and, in fact, um, from a basketball point of view, Moore writes, Colorado by itself is a solid up-the-middle single. The consensus among the six Big 12 coaches who spoke for this story was that the Buffaloes and C.J. Moore's writing it, so I'm pretty sure Bill Self was one of those six. 
uh, because C.J. Moore covers Kansas. Uh, the Buffaloes are a solid value add. High floor, one put it, and I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. From a purely number standard, if you took the last 10 seasons for Colorado and added that team to the Big 12 the leagues, average team rating, as you pointed out, would drop 2.2 spots. Even though Colorado is worse than the average Big 12 team, eight of the last 10 years, the league would have maintained its best league in the country status with the Buffs. When the Big 12 lost Colorado, it wasn't really much of a hit because CU had historically been one of the league's worst programs. Now Colorado is more middle of the pack because of its coach, Tad Boyle, the winningest coach in program history. And if I can find it here real quick, uh, there was an interesting quote about uh, Tad Boyle. This hurts them, Big 12 coach said, because I thought the Pac-12 was soft, and I thought Tad Boyle, like even when he didn't get the best players, his teams out-toughed teams. They were one of the teams in the Pac-12 you didn't want to play. So when he says this hurts them, he's talking about the Pac-12, not Colorado. And he said, CU, and this is true, CU is not one of the four or five year in and year out or even six or seven most talented teams, but they're tougher than most, and that's why they've had um, an occasional surprising road win and been actually quite good at home, especially against the supposed powers of the Pac-12. They were one of the teams in the Pac-12 you didn't want to play. I told my scheduling guys, schedule anybody from the Pac-12, and Colorado was maybe the one exception. Tad's teams are tough. He's a Big 12 dude. And of course, I, I uh, we all remember that kind of, Tad yeah. Boyle played for Kansas in the Big Twelve or Big Eight, mm-hmm. as it was when Tad was playing. Right. So I, I I actually do think there's a fit there. I think that makes sense. And and I think when uh, if and when Arizona comes on, uh, I expect there to be a bit of a pause on some of this uh, because we, we've seen it in the Big Ten where uh, Oregon and Washington would like to have joined USC and UCLA and Big Tens. Closing its and doors, they, they sort think, of got the gentle, uh, not right now, not or right sort of now. the capacity. We don't want to divide the TV money yeah. two more ways. Right. And I think you may That's see the, the, the big situ- that situation duplicate already with the news that uh, Colorado is in and Arizona may be following. UConn, that has been pressing to fit in to help buff out their, uh, pun not intended, their basketball sort of bona fides, would be unnecessary with Arizona and, and less of a geographic... Uh, fit. Oh, sure. So all of a sudden, sure. UConn it may also find themselves. I mean, UConn's in, national champion. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. No, basket. there's nothing wrong with it at all. But I'm saying, but it would. But the idea was they would fit at the Big Twelve to help the, to build up basketball in that conference. Right. But, but as a football whole, program, it's not kind of there. And if they add Colorado and say Arizona, uh, the, the, the Big right. Twelve can do the same thing that the Big Ten has been. They're like, oh, you might need to wait. We're yes. sort of a oh, capacity oh, I think right so. now. We're I gonna, think they're we're looking. Go this. They're looking at. Speaking of these uh, four corner schools, so to speak, they're looking at Arizona more seriously than they're looking at Utah. Utah is in a good position right now to stay in the Pac-12. Uh, yeah, they, and, they really are. You know, heck, if it's only nine teams, they, they will have a TV deal at some point. I don't think it'll be very good, but they will have some sort of TV deal. Uh, fewer schools means fewer ways to divide that money. And I, I think Arizona is stronger than Arizona State. 
uh, in the sense that uh, Arizona's basketball historically has been stronger than Arizona State's basketball. And a football difference. Over at MileHighSports.com, our own Rich Kurtzman brought up the uh, the possibility, and it has been voiced around the idea that uh, Colorado State, with its newest facilities, may be one of those teams that uh, might be able, has been kind of on the cusp of trying to get to the Power Five. Not quite there yet. But perhaps the departure of Colorado and that market being open and a Pac-12 that now has to basically throw the door open and try to renegotiate his TV deal, however uh, George uh, Klevikov has gotten it going, it's going to have to start again. That perhaps there's an opportunity for CSU to throw its hat mm-hmm. in the ring, give themselves a, an opportunity. Now, the problem there is, I don't know how long the Pac-12 conference is for this earth. Right. And, and well, potentially that's one problem. jumping onto and, a sinking ship <laughs> might not be the best plan. I do actually wonder for CSU right now if a Mountain West, which I get it, is not a Power 5 conference, but has some stability to it. Maybe that's still the best place to stay while this stuff gets uh, sorted I, out I, before I, having I to bounce somewhere and then a couple years later try to bounce somewhere else. And I think out of the Mountain West, it's clear that uh, the, the Pac-12 would welcome San Diego State. They tried to get them, yeah. Now, well, I think that's still out there. Yes. Uh, now, the, the thing with San Diego State is they that they, they have to wait for a couple of years uh, so they don't have to pay an exit fee. And they would replace Colorado at some point, but not right away. As in 2024, they'd have to wait until 25 or 26 before moving to the Pac-12, they as in the folks at San Diego State. But, you know, even with that one-year gap, probably in many ways, I mean, they were a finalist for the national championship last year in basketball. Right. In many ways, they're a pretty suitable replacement for Colorado. Yes. Yes. Now, we also have to remind people, and we both like this move for CU. Fact of the matter is CU has won seven games or more one time in 17 years, and in about six months it's going to be one time in 18 years. They in the Since, Most since like moving to Most the like big, or the Pac-12, pardon me, um, 22-76. I mean, it's it's been a, it's been a mess. And the fortuitousness, of this timing with adding Deion Sanders, with having the opportunity to to make this move at a position of strength during a time in which uh, there were only so many places you could get to while the getting was good, has really worked out. And give CU credit for realizing we have not found ourselves in this position. We better leverage it right now. And they did so, and a very, very smart move. Um, the situation there will wait of course for one season the expectation will be this is the last year in the in the in the pac-12 and then get going there but uh, all of a sudden too the visibility uh, the pac-12 network which has had uh, some difficulty fitting on certain carriers uh, you're now dealing with the big 12 network is fox and espn yes visibility that's, that's not right. an issue and we've well, talked rick about george said yesterday it's no a, secret he said the key to the move is fox and espn it's a three time zone conference right although it jumps to three and a half if you land arizona Half well, the year, half the, the year. Yeah. Yes, half the year. So you know, baby steps. Uh, you'll get, you'll get there. So good news. Uh, obviously, uh, the bus need more wins. The Broncos need more wins on a football Friday. Hey, uh, you know, maybe you want some more wins. And so for the weekend, well, why not? Why not check out our friends at Superbook? Because at Superbook, we're changing the game. Help your bets stay hot this summer at Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling, with a direct line to Las Vegas. 
And now when you use the promo code MILEHIGH, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. That means win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code MILEHIGH. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code MILEHIGH, and then you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. The Broncos uh, practices continue to get underway. Fans are going to be at it, as Cody Rourke said earlier in the program. Uh, this is their big get-together weekend for fans going out there or for fans paying attention to the first weekend of practice from afar, Sandy. What should they be paying attention to, if anything, in this early going? We'll talk about that and then maybe even touch on the rather important game that happens at 1 in the morning locally. In the Women's World Cup, the U.S. in a position to do something they've never done before. And... Um, it would be bad. I'll explain next on My Life Sports. Yo, it's about that time to break forth the rhythm and the rhyme. I'm going to get mine, so get yours. I want to see sweat coming out your pores. On the house, tip a sound, swing it. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. A little uh, bookkeeping as we put it. Let's keep you up to date on the latest, by the way. The Colorado Rockies, such as they are, have reinstated Kyle Freeland from the 15-day injury list. That uh, right shoulder's feeling better. Uh, Tommy Doyle recalled from AAA as well. We were there. Chase Anderson on the 15-day injured list retroactive uh, to July. Uh, Having Freeland back is good. People like to watch Freeland, so there's that. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, injured meniscus, had surgery today. The surgery was successful. He will be back in early December. That's the expectation. Joe Burrow, after a a calf strain, was made worse yesterday in practice. He's expected to be out for, quote, several weeks, according uh, to their head coach. Now it's worth noting. There's no way he'll play in the preseason game. He wasn't going to play in the preseason anyway. anyway. And there's still six weeks until the opener. So six weeks from Sunday is the opener. So I would say... uh, Fantasy football nerds, uh, I'm I'm still in on Joe Burrow at this point. I'm not that that's not scaring me off. He'll put be it, fine. Put it that way. Uh, also worth noting from multiple reports: the uh, Shelby Harris, Broncos' former defensive lineman, and and a key cog in the Russell Wilson trade, right? Ish. <laughs> yeah. uh, back vi- yeah. visiting the Broncos. Now, today. how many? Uh, there were three players: and Noah Fanton, yeah. Drew Locke, along with. Well, I mean, the most accomplished player that went, I suppose. You can make the argument. Was, uh, uh, although Fan had a good year last year, but he yeah, did. I agree. Shelby Harris is the most accomplished. Uh, Harris three. visiting the Broncos today, of course. Uh, Ioma Vazarike suspended for the year. Uh, if the money makes sense, that to me seems to be something of a uh, a no brainer. I understand that there's been a little bit of bad blood, but some of those nit- you know, people involved in it are gone. One and- of the advantages of changing all the time is that uh, bad blood goes away. Quickly, it get, uh, gets washed and, uh, out every year. <laughs> whether Vazarike had been suspended or not, I would make the argument if you're looking for depth I, along I that defensive line, Shelby Harris would be an upgrade. So, uh, obviously, if that gets done, that would be something of a good sign, well, too. I, uh, I, I do want to say about the Rockies, though. You've got two teams playing this weekend. Not two of the three worst teams, teams in baseball. Two of the three worst teams in baseball. A combined, a combined. 51 games out of first place. <laughs> and a combined, this is even worse, 44 and a half games out of the playoffs. A combined 44, not, not that much different wow. from being 51 games out 
from first so place. So I know you there don't love still 44 uh, and a half, uh, games combined out of out of the playoffs. I know you don't love the California tiebreaker, right, or the ghost runner, or whatever you want to call no, it. I, I do, I but don't since you can't have ties in baseball between lousy teams, how many games in this series go to the uh, go to the tiebreaker? Oh, I, I would think the games would be poorly played so and maybe bad. even one-sided. That's and, my thought. Uh, so, uh, listen, the Rockies the found care. a way somehow to lose two out of three to the god-awful Washington Nationals. So uh, somehow would be the bullpen. any team. It's, it's what, what, isn't it right about on time? It's late July, just about in time for the bullpen to yeah. uh, completely well, implode? Well, I was sorry, and I, I, I said the uh, two guys on, two best on the Rockies rivers. I care about. One is Kyle Freeland, and the other is Daniel Bard. And and the rest of them, I don't know. Well, and Justin Lawrence was one of the other ones that ended up yeah. having the well, have blow yeah. up. So, I and mean, and uh, Johnson blew a game Johnson for, for Atlanta. Atlanta the other night. But that's they, at least Boston. not the Rockies' problem That's anymore. not the Rockies' problem. I suppose. But, uh, you know, I was sad to see Daniel Bard uh, with some control issues uh, be part of yeah. the uh, blown game the other day. Uh, what was it? 4-2 in the eighth. In the second game of the series, after the Rockies won the first, they were up 4-2 in the eighth and lost that game. And then they were up 4-1 in the ninth on Wednesday and blew that with Washington scoring four in the ninth. So that, that that's my answer to your question about the possibility of extra inning games. Yeah. Bad teams tend to blow leads and even before extra innings roll around. But can you imagine... Because one of the things about extra innings now is that you, you kind of run out of pitching, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. And if you're a bad team, you had it in the first. You're place. putting not even four A guys out there somewhere between Triple A and Major League. You're putting Triple A to Double A pitchers out there in extra innings when you're the Rockies or the A's. So. Even if, by some chance, one of the games goes extra innings, it won't last long because both teams will be able to pummel the lousy relief pitchers that will be involved in extra inning baseball if these games go uh, to extra innings. Something interesting, though, that I saw today, there is only one team in baseball that has been consistently playing over 600 baseball all year, and that's Atlanta. Yeah, oh, Baltimore yeah. has just squeezed in the last couple of weeks over 600, but that's it. If you're talking about teams winning six out of ten or more, there are four teams. There were three, and now there are four winning less than four out of every ten. Those four now are Colorado, Oakland, Kansas City, but the White Sox have joined the list of sub-400 teams, twice as many sub-400 teams as there are teams playing better than 600 baseball. And then you have the two dozen teams roughly between 400 and, and 600, which is usually the way it goes. But it's usually split pretty evenly. And, that, and this year it's four bad teams and only two exceptionally good teams based on what we've seen, not including the Dodgers, not including the Houston Astros, the defending champions, and not including Tampa that started 29-6. and six. Remember that? Give, give Baltimore credit because when the season started, the odds on them making the postseason were just under 10%. 
as it stands today, their odds on missing the postseason is just under 10%. Well, if, if, if you want to get a sense of Baltimore, I assume that most people around here don't probably not watch baseball. follow Baltimore Orioles baseball. Just think of it this way. For every game the Rockies have lost, the Orioles have won. And for every game the Rockies have won, the Orioles have lost. In other words, their record is a mirror image of the Rockies' record. The Rockies are 40 and 62, and the Orioles are 62 and 40. That's how good the Orioles have been, especially lately when they've overtaken Tampa and now have a game and a half lead over Tampa. And the Orioles have only won five of their last 10. Tampa's lost eight out of 10. Wow, have they died. Uh, and it, it, have come back so far that now Toronto's within five and a half of first place. And even if they don't finish first, they're a wild card team right now. Boston, which was double digits out of first place and about four or five games out of the playoffs, now Boston is only seven games out of first and only a game and a half out of the playoffs. With a, with a team that I think from a fan perspective without having a lot of stars is great fun to watch because Alex Cora is, is just a fun manager. He'll try just about anything and he manipulates his pitching staff brilliantly. He manipulates his roster. Uh, they've got a star endeavors at third base. who plays every day and he's one of the 15, 20 best offensive players in baseball. Yeah. After that, it's it's young guys that they brought up who have taken this year a pretty good jump. My point in all of this is that the Red Sox payroll right now, honestly, isn't that much different from nope. the Rockies' payroll. Which is uh, right highly now. unusual. Has and, been for and, a long time. And so I'm Very thinking if, if, if they've got in Boston a center fielder like Duran, who was almost out of baseball last year, at the age of 26, he's 27 this year, and he looks like a star now. And you've got this uh, Cassis at first base who got off to a bad start, but since April has been terrific, uh, especially offensively. Where are the Rockies' prospects like that? I mean, the Red Sox have two or three guys, and and the good news is that uh, they're getting Trevor Story back right. here in the next few weeks, and Trevor's been on rehab in double A AA and triple A and has been looking pretty good at shortstop throwing the ball now that he's had the elbow surgery. And if he makes it back, the Red Sox have a hole of sorts at shortstop. That's, that's a, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good team at short with story at third with Devers Cassis. Well, what what you're kind of seeing first. is, is you why can't be... the Rockies be something like that? When the you Red Sox aren't spending that much more money. Here it is in July. You have to be pretty bad when you know that you have no chance to even get into the mix with the additional wild card being there. I mean, it's that. it really is that simple. You have to be awful. That's where the Rockies are. That, for the uh, over in New Zealand, by the way, in Auckland uh, tonight, for it'll be very early in the morning for U.S. time, uh, 1 a.m., so get your, uh, your, your energy drink of choice ready. 
or uh, maybe I guess you know Sean Payton two lattes. You get really fired up on a couple of lattes. So I mean, yeah, this, stay away from the lattes. Right? I, I I like it's a Friday night, like Sandy. Lattes. I might try it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I may go for well, it. Well, you're you're more committed. I may go for it to watching it one yeah, in the morning. Yeah, I may night. do it. I may do it. I might get some of Sean Payton's two lattes. I'll just make sure I put the phone away and don't uh, talk to anybody. Don't talk to Jared. Bell. Yeah, don't talk to you. You can Bell. have all the lattes you want. Right. Just don't talk to right, Jared. Right. Bell. I'll make sure I don't do that. But uh, the U.S. will be facing off against Portugal. Uh, they need a win to ensure that they will move on. Were they to lose Portugal uh, one and one, the U.S. one win and a draw with the Netherlands, uh, the U.S. could miss the knockout round for the first time in history, which would be pretty remarkable. Also remarkable, the U.S. in its two games, Sandy, one win and one loss, yeah. have scored four goals. All, all four goals, two by Sophia Smith, two by Captain Lindsey Horan from Colorado Kids. Right. That's it. It's wonderful. Anybody on Team USA that's not from Colorado want to show up, now's the time. By by the way, uh, I'll ask this question with Danny Bailey. and That's Centennial State's fault. I assume Cody Rourke has visited Compete Street? Yes. Yes, we we were out at Compete Street yesterday. I have not yet had the chance. I'm I'm hoping to go out Monday because they're in pads on Monday. Right. You're asking what what to watch Mm -hmm. for this weekend. I'll go and have have fun if you're able to go out and watch. You're gonna take but they a, won't be in pads until Monday. You're gonna take a selfie under the compete street sign. Well, I I, I might. Yeah, I mean now kind of a landmark. You know, one of the things I I thought it's a new landmark. I I thought that Hackett was the king of corn poem, but compete street. <laughs> that's pretty proof. That's that's even whatever. something that Hackett wouldn't have if come it, up if with. If it works, I guess you know whatever. I, whatever. Whatever gets you fired up. Get on Compete Street. If it's Michael Jordan, it was hating everybody who's ever uh, faced him. If it was David Justice, it was fighting with your wife, Halle Berry. I mean, I, maybe those aren't the best ways, but I guess it worked for them. I I, I don't know. If 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 the uh, the fake street sign makes it Compete work for street. you, I guess good for you. Boy, it's it's nailed in there. Good. Have you seen? Oh the yeah, no. I, mean, I was it's there yesterday. Really it's like it's there. Like, yeah. I mean, that's that's in there. It's it's bolted into that, the concrete. That's not it's that, legit. you know a little. A yeah. breeze or even a no, no. thunderstorm isn't going to blow No, you're going to that sucker. You're gonna have to back a truck into Down. it. I mean, it's not yeah. going. Yeah, it's staying. That's not going to blow uh, that sucker away. That's legit. That's uh, So, yeah, who knows? You know, Compete Street. Compete Street in full effect. Uh, you will be able to see it if you have binoculars standing over at the Knoll uh, this weekend. And also, as Cody pointed out, bring sunscreen. Uh, because I have, the media, by the way, is now also on the Knoll this year. And I am inclined to... Are you kidding? No. I've been out there. And Are I am, you kidding? I am, no, I'm not. And I'm also inclined to forget sunscreen. So if you bring some and see me... Then no tents. Please, uh, please just... We're, we're on the hill. Ch- yeah, check Which with me. Which actually is a better view. Y- yeah, ask, ask if I forgot sunscreen, because I probably did, and I would probably love to borrow yours. So have a safe and wonderful weekend. Thanks to Cody Rourke for joining us. Danny Bailey's in the booth that makes everything work. You can thanks for everyone listening over the air on Mile High Sports, uh, milehighsports.com, and the Free Mile Sports app. A little programming note for you. Football season's upon us. That means starting Monday, we're moving to Afternoon Drive, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Starting Monday, for Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. We'll catch you then on Mile High Sports. Say what you won't do, cause you know that you're just my